1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, is where we will be today. And Paul is taking a turn and he's going to declare some things to Timothy um, and going to say, hey, as a believer, these are, this, is, this is how you combat what we talked about last week, which was false teaching. This is how you do that, okay? And so we're going to get there in a minute. I, when I was growing up, most of you know I grew up on, on, on a lot of land in West Texas, and uh, my dad was a rancher, and so um, a lot of ranch life was just part of my life. It was just second nature. Um, and so one of part of that was for me is I showed animals. Uh, my brother showed steers and heifers growing up, and um, and we always showed lambs because that's what we raised. And so I showed lambs, and from the time that I could hold on to one um, until uh, I was a senior in high school and graduated. But I also showed goats uh, starting in high school and um, began to show goats year round. But every year we would get lambs we'd get goats we'd go and we'd pick them out like that's the one we want we'd bring them home and and then there was this this responsibility that had to kick in on my part where I had to take care of these lambs and these goats and so part of taking care of these lambs and goats was was nourishing them okay giving them food okay but but nourishing something um, whether it's an animal or a child or a plant or anything, there's more involved than just feeding them, right? Okay. I'll wait all day. I mean, come on. I didn't know you're here. Okay, and so, so uh, part of nourishing those animals was that I would feed them and that I would, I would work with them on a daily basis because I don't know if you know this, but lambs and goats don't just like naturally like a halter. I don't know if you knew that, but they don't. And so there was some, there was some discipline involved, and, and we had to run them because we fed them really good, rich, nourishing food, but we didn't want them to get too fat because the judge didn't like them too fat. It's the whole process, right? And so we would run them on a daily basis, and oftentimes that meant Brady running them because the dog just liked to herd them and not run them. You had to train the dog to run so. Whole, I can tell you all the process, but all that to say is that we, I had to take care of these animals, and I had to nourish them, and part of nourishing them was I had to feed them, I had to exercise them, discipline them, um, train them so that I could eventually show them, right? That was the process that I grew up with, and I did that all of my life. I can still tell you way more about sheep and goats than I care to know, but I, I just can because of all that I did. And, and, and I was thinking about this week in light of our text because Paul's going to say this um, ultimately in, in, to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. And it's our, simply a, our aim this morning is that we are to nourish our faith and keep our hope set on Jesus. We are to nourish our faith and keep our hope set on D Jesus. And like, Brady, why don't you tell me all that about livestock? Well, because here's the deal. I learned to nourish something and take care of something, and God doesn't waste anything in his economy. And so all of that experience taught me as I've grown older and as I've, I've, I've had my own kids is that, that probably the most important and vital thing in all of my life is to nourish my faith, is to take care of my faith. 
Because that's what's most important about me. Not what I can do with an animal. Not what I can do with, with physical ability. But, but what I believe about God and who God is in my life. And so we're going to walk through this this morning in um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Now, verse 1 through 5, as we unpacked last week, is Paul's warning and saying, hey, we've got to recognize false teachers. We've got to understand who they are. We've got to recognize them, and we've got to stand up against it. And then verse 6, he's going, okay, Timothy, here's, here's how that's going to play out for you as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so if you are a believer in Christ this morning, this applies to you and to me. Okay, listen. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Let's stop right there. Paul's referring back to, hey, if you put these things as you recognize false teachings and, and you do these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant, or maybe your translation says a minister of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This word trained here um, is the Greek word for nourish, to take care of. Timothy, you have been nourished in the good faith. You've been nourished by good doctrine. And, and so then we go, well, how? Well, Timothy was trained and nourished, right? Taken care of. When we nourish something, there's lots that's involved. It's not just whip, right? We talked about this in Gary's Sunday school class. They asked me a really important question, and I I'm glad to answer it. Um, said, Brady, did you ever get spanked in school, in the principal's office? And I said, absolutely not. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, the preacher. No, I was just so that afraid of my father. That if I got spanked at school, at home, it was not, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to go home if I would have got spanked at school. So I didn't get spanked at school. But, but, Nourishment is more than just training, right? It, it is, it is a, a taking care of. And so, so Paul says, hey, Timothy, you've been nourished in the good faith. By who? Anybody know? By his mom and his grandmother. They nourished him. They took care of him. They helped him grow and they encouraged him. And, and most likely, how many of you ever been disciplined by your mom? How many of you have ever been disciplined by your grandma? Right, okay, right? He, they, they took care of them, they disciplined them, they loved them, and they nourished his faith. And Timothy grew in that. But then Paul says, and also in the good doctrine, and, and this is where Paul kind of points back to um, this whole Paul-Timothy relationship, and Paul's going, Timothy, I did this for you. I, I, I helped you understand doctrinally, and I helped you understand theologically who God is. And, and Paul, you've been nourished in this. And so he says, hey, look, nourishment is, is huge. And so that's simply our first point this morning is nourish your faith. He's going to go on and he's going to say this in verse 6. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. 
It says, hey, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, right? In our day, we call these conspiracy theories. Down the rabbit hole we go, right? D don't entertain those things. And, and in Paul's day, he would say, hey, there's going to be all kinds of things that, that, that are going to come at you. And, and ultimately what Paul's saying is, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. All the, the myths and the irreverent things block out and fix your eyes on Jesus. The way that you and I nourish our faith is, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And he's going to say this at the, at the end of this. But, but he goes on and he kind of gives this representation of, of, hey, physical training is of some value. He uses a different word here for train, and it's the word, the Greek word, gymnase. We get our English word gymnasium from it okay so that's fun for you this morning um so he says hey bodily training physical training is of good value is some value isn't it but then he says but but spiritual training is of what it's invaluable right it 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 goes beyond anything for the present age and the one to come i learned this lesson uh kind of in a hard way I, I, I grew up in West Texas, as I've said, and, and in West Texas, there's one thing that is kind of um, overarching and king of all, and that is football. Um, Friday nights, it shuts down. Like You see the, the TV shows, the rumors of Friday night, there's nobody in town not at a football game. You know, it's Friday night lights, and so that's, that's what I grew up with, and and, and I had the privilege of, of getting to play on some really good football teams in high school and, and, and not losing a whole lot. And, and then I graduated high school and I was like, man, I want to keep going. I can't give this up, right? And so I got the opportunity to go to Hardin-Simmons University and, and probably play for one of the greatest coaches of all time and Jimmy Keeling, uh, who continually won. And so I, I've got two conference championship rings and like, that was awesome. I loved every minute of it. But but in, in my young mind, I had already surrendered to ministry. I knew I was going into ministry, but there was something in me that just said, man, I got to play football. And I went to college and I, pl I played and I was, I, I was in the weight room six to seven days a week and I was watching film and all of these things and I was training my body for all of these things. And I was in peak physical condition for me, Right? I was in, I had to weigh in every Thursday, uh, and I couldn't weigh above a certain amount. And like, there was a whole thing. So we'd weigh in on linemen on Thursday, and then Thursday night we hit up Chinese buffet because we had a week to get it off. <laughs> but but I, I trained, and I, and I worked hard, and all of those things. And in my sophomore year of college, I took one hit, and it was done. One hit. And I was injured, and I was done. And I could not play football. It didn't matter how hard I worked. My body was not going to allow me to play the sport I loved any longer. And God got a hold of me and lit me up in that moment of going, yes, I gave you this ability. But I, I read this and said, 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of the value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. I'd given all my energy and everything I had to the sport I loved. And in a moment, in an instant, it was taken away. And God reminded me, that's not what I've called you to as a believer. I have called you to pursue and to chase and to give everything you are to me. And it's not just because he called me into ministry. It's because he called me as a believer in him. Paul's not saying that physical fitness is just you throw it out. He's just saying, look, pursuing Christ is always better. Pursuing Jesus and your relationship with him is always going to produce in you something that is good for now and for the future. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us in our lives tell the world about Jesus. Whether that's a good thing or whether that's a bad thing. Our lives tell the world about Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we nourish our faith as believers? Well, here's the deal. I can give you four things this morning, four practical ways that you can nourish your faith. First, always be a student of God's Word. Always be a student of God's Word. Psalm chapter 1 tells us this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that does, he prospers. We are to be a student of God's word. So, so what does that mean? Well, being a student of God's word means that you're digging into God's word, that you're reading God's word, that you're studying God's word. And when you go, man, I don't understand that. That's okay. Part of being a student is going, I don't get that, and asking questions about it. That's part of being a student, right? And, and when we're a student of God's word, here's, here's the crazy thing. Is it here? This is the, the beauty of how we nourish our faith. Is that when you're a student of anything, uh, a class asked me a couple of weeks ago, what does it mean to be a disciple? I said, well, we're all a disciple of something. Right? When we're all a, a disciple of something. And, and the reality is, is that the thing that you make a priority in your life <clears throat> is the thing you talk about the most. How many of you talk about your grandkids a lot? Come on, okay. Right, because they're a priority in your life. You like to tell stories about your grandkids because they're a priority in your life, right? How many of you ever trained for something? Right, you trained for something and, and, and you, you spent time. Did you talk about the thing you were training for a lot? Yeah, right? How many of you have, like, are super passionate about your job and you love to talk about your job? Oh, man. We got like two people. We got to <laughs> We need to have like a whole full, yeah. All right, well, I don't know. We'll talk about that later in another sermon. Um, so, <laughs> look, 
we, by, by creatures of habit and by who we are, the thing that we're passionate about is the thing we talk about, right? When we are a student of God's word, guess what happens? We begin to talk about God's word. When we're in God's word and we're studying God's word and we're asking questions about God's word, guess what we do with nearly everyone around us? We talk about God's word. Like, hey, do you, do you know what I read today? Like, this is crazy. I opened up to, to the Old Testament. You know how much blood is there? Like, I'm serious. Like, when, whenever we're a student of God's word, we'll talk about God's word. So church, may it be said of us as disciples of Jesus that we always talk about the word of God because we are passionate about the word of God. Always be a student of God's word and you will nourish your faith. The second thing is this, is that we are to be diligent in prayer. We are to be diligent in prayer. Listen in Philippians chapter four and verse six, it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Does it say in some things we should go to the Lord in prayer? No. Does it say just the big things we should go to the Lord in prayer? No. It says in everything we should go to the Lord in prayer. The way that you nourish your faith is to be diligent in your prayer life. Make a priority. Carve out time and say, this is the time that I'm going to go before the Lord every single day look if if I got married to my wife 13 and a half years ago a little more than that now but got married to her and we're like great cool awesome glad we're married and then I never talked to her for the last 13 and a half years what do you think that relationship's going to be like some of you are like hmm Maybe, hmm, is that, uh, listen, it, the relationship's going to be non-existent. Relationship's going to be really tough, isn't it? Yeah. We don't do that with the relationships in our life, do we? We talk to each other, do all those things. But yet we somehow justify that in our relationship with God, it's cool if I don't talk to him. Be diligent in prayer. Go before the Father. Tell Him what's on your heart. Tell Him all the things you're thinking. Tell Him all the things you're struggling with. Tell Him all the things you're anxious about. Tell Him all the things and all the ways He is good. Tell Him all the things because He's God and He wants to talk with you. The way you nourish your faith is be diligent in prayer. Third thing is this, is that we are to be a servant. Also in Philippians chapter 2, Paul lays it out and says, hey, look, this is who we are to be. Verse 4, Philippians chapter 2, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was... 
He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Savior, Jesus, provides the perfect example of how you and I are to be servants. You want to nourish your faith? Serve. We have a plethora of ways you can serve right here at Oak Grove Baptist Church. We have a children's ministry you can serve in. And guess what? Every single one of them need to know and need to hear that Jesus loves them. We have a youth ministry that you can serve in. And every single one of them need to know that Jesus loves them. And we have a men's ministry and a women's ministry that you can serve in. And every single one of them needs to know that Jesus loves them. There are opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you to serve. You want to nourish your, your, your faith? Be a servant. Say, God, what do you want from me? Because I want to do what you want. Church, we're called to serve not sit and then the fourth thing is this is that we're to be obedient James chapter 1 is going to say this to us but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are called to be obedient to God's word. It's really that simple. Like, yeah, but Brady, I don't know how to be obedient. You do. You choose not to. We all do. When God calls us to share our faith and make disciples of all nations, go do it. Be obedient. Say, yep, I'll do that. Yep, I'll do that. When I'm a student of God's word and he begins to lay out the things and the way that I'm to live my life, Guess what then my response should be to being a student of God's word? Being obedient. Going and doing what he says. Like, yeah, but have you read some of that? Yeah, I have. <laughs> and it's tough. And I'm not standing here saying to you today that it won't be tough. It will be. It will be probably the hardest thing you ever do. Because a lot of times when we're obedient, it means that we have to say no to a lot of things the world says we should say yes to. But we are called to be obedient. The way we nourish our faith is by obedience. Then Paul's going to say these last few things and then we'll be done. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This phrase is referring back to what he's just said. Hey, this is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance for you to say, yep, I'm in. 
Then he says in verse 10, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And, and, and let, me, let me just unpack that last phrase for you um, so that there's no confusion here. Who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe? Paul is not saying um, and not declaring universalism here. He's not saying that Jesus is ultimately going to save everybody and everybody's going to heaven. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying this, is that Jesus came to die for every single person. But those who believe is who he saves. Well, listen. He says that for to this end we toil and strive. That we... That, that, Look, there's going to be struggle in it. I think this is something that the church um, misses sometimes. Is, is our second point is, is that we are to, to set our hope on Christ. Is that Paul says that we, we toil and strive. I think sometimes the church kind of presents our faith and says, go do it. It's going to be so fun and you're going to have the best life ever. Paul just said, you're going to toil and strive. You know, those are not like easy words. Any ever, anybody ever toiled anything? Str like struggled? Had a hard time? That's what Paul's saying. Your faith, setting your hope on Christ is going to be a struggle. And it's okay. If you're honest in here today, you would say you struggle in your faith. Come on. We all do. There's a struggle in it. Some days are great, and I'm doing awesome, and I'm in God's Word, and I'm praying, and then there's some days that I, I'm just tired of it always being this way, whatever way that is, right? I mean, you ever been there where you're like, I'm just tired of it being this way? That's struggling, but that doesn't mean that he's not God. That doesn't mean that he's not still Savior. It means that he's walking with you and that the toil and the strife and the struggle you're walking through is making you look more like him as you set your hope on him. Because that's who he is. There was a young missionary named Simon Marek. He was led to India in the 1800s from a revival. And he went to a tribe of the Garo people in Assam, India. And the chief and most of the tribe wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They were adamantly against him. But Simon kept pursuing, and soon a man named Naksing would come to know Jesus and accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So would his wife, and so would his two kids. And shortly after Naksing accepted Christ, the chief brought all the people together and, and, and brought Naksing in front of everyone. His, him, his wife, and his two children. 
standing before all of the people and the chief, and the chief said, what have you done? And Noxene said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And the chief became enraged, and he, he had his archers point the arrows at Noxene's two children. He said, renounce Jesus, or I kill your sons. And and Noxine looked at the chief and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And the chief had both sons murdered. And then the archers pointed their arrows at Noxine's wife and said, renounce Jesus, or I'm taking your wife and you will be all alone. And he said, though none go with me, I still will follow. And the archers released their arrows and killed his wife. And then they turned, as the chief got angry and enraged, they turned their arrows toward Noxing and said, renounce Jesus or we'll kill you too. And Noxine sat there and said these words. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And the arrows were released and killed Noxine. That young missionary would write the hymn that we all know, I have decided to follow Jesus. But as this whole family laid there, dead, after declaring, we will follow Jesus, the chief took a moment and he simply said this. If this man would allow his entire family to be killed and himself to die for this Jesus who walked the earth so many years ago, there must be something special about this Jesus. And so I'm declaring today in front of all the tribe that I too will follow Jesus and I have decided to follow him. And still to this day, the song of the Gero tribe is I have decided to follow Jesus. I wonder, church, this morning would you and I as we nourish our faith and set our hope on Jesus would we be the reason that someone would say I have decided to follow Jesus let's pray Father thank you for your word this morning God may we may we respond to it this morning as believers father may we respond in such a way that says above all else father we have decided to follow jesus that father we could say with all that we are the, the cross before me the world behind me no turning back that father that we would nourish our faith we would be diligent to chase after you. 
Father, move in this time. Move in our hearts. Change and transform who we are. Father, would we not walk out of this place this morning the same way we walked in because of your word. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.